This is Linux Unplugged, episode 44 for June 10th, 2014. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's yabba dabba excited to talk about Bedrock Linux. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey, Matt. Episode 44, and we've got the founder of Bedrock Linux on the line waiting for us just to get to him. He's been patiently here all pre-show. We've had a fun pre-show today, and uh, I'm excited to kind of uncover Bedrock Linux a little more. It's a pretty interesting distro that we reviewed on Sunday's Linux Action Show. I believe it was episode 316, if you haven't seen that one. It's not required reading. But highly suggested reading if you want to be yeah. well-rounded. Uh, and uh, we'll also get to some feedback. And if uh, we've got some time, Matt, something, something's got me upset all day. Uh, Alienware has slapped Linux users in the face. They've taken a trout that's like two days old, and they just slapped us all in the face with it. And I, I can't believe it. So we're going to get to that as well. Plus, uh, we've got some uh, Steam updates and a couple of other things. So good show today. I'm excited about all this stuff. So uh, I figured maybe if we were uh, if we were so inclined, we'd start with our feedback. And uh, our first email this week, and we'll get to just a couple of emails, and then we're going to get right to the Bedrock Linux stuff. But I had a couple of things I wanted to uh, to start with, and the first one came from John. And John wrote in to kind of rib us Arch users. He says, hey, Chris and Matt, I just have to tease you for beginning your show by talking about Arch regressions, and then go on to worry about Mint having potential to break. Currently, Linux Mint works, and there are few problems I have with it. Yeah, it might not work right on other distros, but I, and I think he's talking about Cinnamon, I honestly doubt if Clem even cares about that. A quick look at the Linux Mint website will tell you they are self-sustaining distro, and they are self-financed too. Maybe this is Mint's way of pushing back at the ultra-accelerated pace that distros like Arch rev up. What is wrong with Debian's style of a revving a distro? Maybe it's an issue of two different worlds. One world that's building a future of Linux, and then there's the world that uses Linux to do things unrelated to the development of Linux. Those who want something that works because it's been rigorously tested. Cheers, John. So, uh, Matt, do you think uh, maybe this is uh, the Linux Mint's pushback at this crazy rolling distro world that we seem to be moving towards? I think maybe inadvertently. I don't think it's uh, done on purpose or with any type of uh, real direct Mission pushback. Or, yeah. But I definitely think that they're going for uh, they're you know they're going for some stability and they're also catering to a different audience of people. Yeah, and I I think there is a bit of like two worlds at play here too, and I also think it's a good point that uh, Linux Mint doesn't really need Cinnamon or Mate to be used anywhere. It's anywhere no. else. I mean, it's it's in their benefit and best interest if it does, and I'm sure they want to see it used elsewhere. But they are self-funded by their users, and so that allows them the flexibility to really focus on just building what they think is best for them. And if that means creating their own desktop that only they have, uh, if that's what he, if that's what Clem believes is the way to accomplish that mission, it makes sense. That's what he's going to do. So yeah, I think it's yeah. uh, I think it's interesting. We'll see. We'll keep watching it. I I actually am really glad they're doing it. I think it's a grand experiment because uh, I've always you know I've always speculated like if you know if I if I had a perfect Linux distro, it would be something kind of like what Linux Mint is doing or like Elementary does where. Only it would be more user land updates, really fresh user land, but really right. stable uh, base stuff as much as possible. 
Uh, and that's essentially what we're going to see for mint. So it's an experiment that I've been rattling around the back of my brain for a long time. And now we're going to see it come to life. So my cookie wrote in, my cookie. <laughs> he says, hi, Chris. And we got this a lot. And this is just a nice, concise question. So I wanted to get to this. On a previous Unplugged, you hinted that Chase might end up on Linux Mint after thinking on what to choose. Yet, once I watched the episode, he ended up on Ubuntu. Why did Chase choose Ubuntu over Linux Mint? Now, I wanted to get to this here because we've talked a lot about how-to Linux here in this show. And the current format of how-to Linux is really the representation of uh, months and months of thinking, like and Chase, you know, thinking about switching. And so we've come to a lot of... We've had a lot of discussions and conclusions outside the show, and then what you see in the show is the manifestation of all of that work. Uh, and the essential reason was we figured a lot of people watching will be starting there. We're not sticking with any one particular distribution. Uh, and Chase kind of felt like because the choice is so overwhelming, he was he was willing to hold off on making full-gone conclusions and try out Ubuntu, see what he thought, and then also be willing to try other things. So you have to stay tuned to find out what happens there, my cookie. But we uh, one of the biggest... Biggest pieces of feedback. We goes, why didn't you put the explanation in the show? It's because we'd already decided before the show, and it's just a process. And we wanted to make it quick for, because we feel a lot. That's where a lot of people are going to start. So thanks for asking my cookie, uh, Matt. Before we get on, before we get on to the rest of the show, and we got one more email. I want to stop right here and thank Ting. That's right. Go over to Linux.Ting.com. That'll save twenty five dollars off your first device or twenty five dollars off your first month of service. And we got an email came in from Brad. He says, "Dear Chris and Matt." I've switched to Ting. I've been saving for I've been saving it for a phone so I could make the switch, and I finally accumulated the scratch and bought a Nexus Five. Booyah! I've been getting boned by T-Mobile for years now, and now I'm free. Free, I say. I mean, it was like walking in McDonald's and paying for nine hamburgers and only eating one every month. What the? Who does that? I activated my phone entirely online in like ten minutes, and like Chris likes to say, Bob indeed was made my uncle. With Ting, I'm totally only paying for what I use, which isn't much. And currently, with the last discount, I get the first month for free. I actually ended up only, oh, I'm sorry, I only ended up owing them a buck. Seriously, a buck. A friggin' dollar. So thanks, gentlemen. If you're ever in L.A., I owe you a copious amounts of beer. Sincerely, Brad. And his last name is pronounced Kale, like the healthy snack. So go over to linux.ting.com to check it out, Ting. Why is Ting different? Because there's no contracts. There's no early termination fee. And like Brad said, you only pay for what you use. It's a flat $6 plus whatever the man's going to put on top of that. He's got to get his cut, he or she. The man's really not an actual person. Uh, and then it's just your usage. So your megabytes, your messages, your minutes, whatever buckets you fall into after all that's added up, that's what you pay. And be like Brad. I recommend go get the Nexus 5, $349. That's you own it price. That's not you spreading the cost out over two years. That's what you own. And just like when you bought yourself a computer – you want to own it. It's your device. That's what's great about Ting. You get this Nexus 5, one of the best Android phones out there, even still today, $350 when you go to linux.ting.com. Then it's $6 a month after that. That's all you pay. Your usage plus Ting has an awesome dashboard that lets you manage it. And best of all, if you ever get stuck or if you want to have multiple people on your account, you'll appreciate this one. They have rocking good customer service. You can call them anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern at one eight five five ting ftw and a real person answers the phone. And that person, it's not like a, oh, hi, thanks for calling Ting. Please hold. Or what's your problem? And that person's like, hi, thanks for calling Ting. How can I help you? I'm actually the person that's going to help you. And yes, a real person just answered the phone when you called a company's support number. That's, that's, it's, it's incredible. And like Brad said, their control panel is so awesome. Matt and I have both activated and deactivated multiple devices all through the online control panel with zero problems. It's awesome. And if we ever did get stuck, we know we have that customer service. It's really nice linux.ting.com 
That'll tell them, hey, thanks for supporting Linux Unplugged. I really appreciate you guys keeping them on the air. That also gives you a chance to try out their savings calculator. Just plug your current bill in. Now, think about this, too. When you're plugging your bill into their savings calculator, put the numbers in that you actually use, not what you pay into. Because that's a gimmick that your cell carrier has tricked you into thinking is the way to pay for things. When you're doing their savings calculator, put your actual usage in there and then be astonished at the difference. Linux.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. You guys rock. And go over to their blog, too. They've got another behind-the-scenes video they just posted up uh, that you guys might want to check out. So, Matt, join us on the Mumble Line is the founder of Bedrock Linux, Paradigm. Hey, Paradigm, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here, man. We really appreciate it. So uh, tell us, uh, when did you start working on Paradigm? On Bedrock, you mean, I assume. Oh, oh yeah, um, sorry, yeah. Bedrock. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're both tired. It's been a long day. Uh, so I started, um, it's, it's, there isn't really a good firm starting date. I didn't realize what it became when I started playing around with it. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing around 2008 to 2010 was when the, the ideas started formulating before it got anywhere. And then the first public release was 2012. And I, I gather, like, a lot of projects, it was really, like, this is just something I want. Like, I'm sick of having to pick between Debian and Arch or whatever. You just looked at it all and said, I want all of it at once, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's bold. And how has the response like been it. to this? Because I know, the, I mean, I've seen presentations far back as 2012, uh, but yet I still don't see a lot of talk about it. I am seeing more these days. So are, do you think response is improving? Are people starting to grok the idea? I think the main concern, the main thing keeping people away is that it's still labeled alpha. Uh, it, there's still a lot of work that has to be done. I expect that when that's when we're past that and it's a stable release, if there's going to be more attention, that's when it's going to happen. I'm okay with the slow development rate. Sure. It's actually kind of a good thing in a way, isn't it? Because it sort of slowly brings in more people and, and, and sort of doesn't make it an insane base that's all of a sudden using your code. So. Uh, would you mind, in your own words, summarizing what Bedrock Linux is and what makes it different for maybe folks who didn't watch the Sunday's Linux Action Show? Sure. Uh, I'll try to use different phrasing than I did uh, when you quoted me earlier on the, on the show uh, Sunday. So when you use uh, a Linux distribution, what they actually do for you is provide a lot of software that they've packaged. It's all out there. It's just the question is whose who's package you put together to make sure it all works. But you have to pick which group of packages from which distribution. Uh, if you want something stable, you can go like RHEL or Debian. If you want something cutting edge, you can go something like Arch and so on and so on. Every just has its own advantages and disadvantages. The idea about Bedrock Linux is that you can install software from any of those distributions so that it runs natively just like it was needed for the distro. No VM overhead, no containers restricting what you can do. Uh, just if you if you want parts from different distros at the same time, Bedrock uh, is one way to go about it. Now, if you were starting Bedrock today, 2014 of June, would you start with something that was more Docker-based, or do you still think that this is perhaps a different approach or a better approach than just straight-up containerization? So I actually just added today a new frequently asked questions thing on Docker, since that has come quite a bit. Right. Docker is doing something different. Uh, Docker is purposefully containing things so that they, they can't interact with each other. Right. There's a lot of benefits to this. I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but it's a very different goal. If you're using Docker, you can't, for example, uh, say install some program and then run man and get the man page for it. You have to actually go into the the Docker container for it. Hmm. So no, I would not uh, switch the techniques. I, I still think the technique I'm currently using is about the best way to go about it, given the resources I have at hand. And I think the thing to underscore here is this isn't virtualization. And so it is native metal performance. And I could have an application running from an Arch 
client and an application running from a Firefox client and they could interact, they could pass data amongst each other? Yes, exactly. Um, for the most part, it all feels native. Like if you don't realize, if you don't do anything to point out data usage, it feels like any other distro. So does this get massive? Like the, on the disk, am I, do I end up essentially with the equivalent of an Arch, a full Arch installation, a Debian installation, an Ubuntu, you know, a Fedora, whatever I decide to install as a client? Do I do I need to have just a ton of disk space? That that is definitely an issue with the techniques we're currently using. We have some ideas on how to fix that in the long term, but we're not going to get them done anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, how would you even go about that? The main concern with that is actually telling the package managers that uh, certain dependencies have been met elsewhere, and you have to go do a lot of work specific to each package manager uh, to get that done in an automated fashion. It's also not entirely clear that a given library will meet the needs uh, from like a different distro. So what ends up happening on Bedrock right now is that you'll have multiple versions of any given dependency uh, if multiple things need them. They're not shared. But there are some theoretical things that could be done if it's a high enough priority. Could I run multiple versions of the same distribution? So could I have 12.04 and and 14.04 as clients and and mix and match between those two? Sure, yeah. She's like, Louise, that's awesome. That's so awesome. (laughs) I I just – I think I look at – I look at Bedrock Linux as um, – as – Maybe a powered desktop Linux user's uh, perfect scenario. Is that who you're targeting in your mind when you're developing this? So the the key target audience for Bedrock Linux is myself. If other people want to use it, great. But <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to nice. make it for me. And it's for your desktop? Uh, or server. Do you run it on a server? Laptop. Uh, I, I do. Uh, I'm not convinced it's the best option. I think something like CoreOS will give you advantage advantages. What Bedrock does isn't as helpful on a server because things aren't just... Like they don't need to interact quite as much as they would on a desktop, but it works fine. Okay, well, I've got some uh, some functionality and, and usage uh, questions for you. So I'm going to, uh, and also I'll move us up into the main mumble room too, so they can uh, jump in and ask questions. So I guess where I wanted to start with is, uh, are there already tools in place to do client all client updates so I could execute a yum upgrade and a, an app git dash upgrade and a Pacman uh, upgrade from one full one bedrock command? So we had one that did that, but I decided I wanted the name of that utility used elsewhere and we ended up dropping it temporarily. <laughs> In the long term, we want to have – we have a project that we're calling the Package Manager Manager or PMM. And in theory, you could run some PMM commands uh, that would do that. Okay. And then I kind of also had a question. I noticed um, how, how do you choose the kernel? So my Bedrock installation was using an Arch kernel. Is that something that installation you just pick the distro's kernel you want? Uh. Originally, I think in the, the first alpha, I recommended compiling your own kernel, which kept a lot of people away. But after some experimentation, I realized that for the most part, any Linux kernel works in just about any distro. You might lose some features like system tap. But yeah, you can just use whatever. So my recommendation is that you install a kernel from a client and just use that. Hmm. And so how about how many people are working on the Bedrock Linux team now? I'm... The majority of it, uh, I think well over 90% of the lines of code currently in there are mine, but there, there are a good number of other people who contribute what they can when they have time. Um, if I had to give an estimate, depending on, on where you draw the line, it's maybe uh, five total. Wimpy, uh, go ahead, ask your question. Hi there. I was just curious, what problem were you setting out to solve when you first created Bedrock Linux? So there's a famous story with RMS having trouble with a printer, which is why he started uh, the GNU project. I had a similar issue. 
uh, I had to, I was using Debian Stable at the time. Uh, my printer broke, I got a new one, and the drivers didn't work. And I had to spend a lot of time making that work. When I realized that if I could just get this one package from Debian Stable or Arch, that would, that would solve that completely. And so I, I did that. I set that up, and I just kept iterating over it uh, from there until there's it's its own distro. Huh. I I also like the story you shared uh, where there was a bug with Compiz, and one distribution had one part of the solution, and the other distribution had the other part of the solution. You're able to bring those two together. And I've been in that scenario myself, especially though. See, the reason why I asked you about the desktop question is because I have very, very much been in the server space where we were just on the pre-show talking about Red Hat Enterprise 7. And uh, so many times I've been on a CentOS box or a Red Hat Enterprise box, and I've just thought, if I could just manage this one set of applications through apt, or if I could just get this PPA or whatever, it would make so much of my work easier. And Bedrock sort of seems to me to have the promise, if I could base the core Bedrock uh, kernel on a CentOS kernel, so essentially I'm CentOS on the whole stack, uh, but Bedrock's actually managing the user land, I could essentially accomplish that, couldn't I, Paradigm? Yes. And uh, in fact, that's what I'm, I'm doing on the, the server. It's exactly the reason. It's mostly Debian stable, but I do have occasional applications from elsewhere. Go ahead, Crossroads. So I was wondering uh, how you'll handle uh, the init system. Will you use Systemd or will you, uh, yes. uh, write, your, will you write your own um, init, the custom init system for Bedrock? That's, that's actually a really good question. Uh, currently, one of the main areas that Bedrock Linux has issues as a NIT. Most things just work as long as they're not closely tied to a NIT. When Bedrock started, there was no system D. Uh, most things were system five or, or similar, and that ended up uh, working quite nicely. System D, I have to be careful with my phrasing here. Let's say it's really picky about how it does certain things, and it, it doesn't want to play with Bedrock very well, so we have to come up with some new uh, solutions to that particular issue. Currently, Bedrock Linux uses its own BusyBox based init, which is super duper limited. Uh, but in the long term, we're going to try to make other init systems options, just like you can have for the main user land, whatever packages you want. Uh, I'm going to try to make it so that you can use whatever init system you want. Wow. Riley, go ahead. Um, yeah, so I was wondering, like, have you had any issues with uh, the like, bigger dish shows? Um, Getting mad at you pulling down their packages and installing it on Bedrock when it's not really that dish show. Like, I remember a while back that uh, Canonical got mad at Mint for accessing their repos and servers. And, no, uh, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, Sorry, it's just that's that's misrepresenting what happened. That isn't what happened. But go on. But uh, yeah, like, but the broader question is: that. Have you heard? Have you heard any? Pu- have you got any pushback from upstream distros? Yeah, accessing the servers. I've I've not had anyone uh, be upset by by that yet. Uh, I think we we need to be big enough yet to get that attention. If that's something that's coming away, we'll have to handle it. Uh, however, the the question is really, what is the distro that you're using? Is Bedrock Linux just acting like a hypervisor, and you're really using some other distro? Uh, in which case, you're using the software they're providing and the, and the repos they're providing for that purpose. So there, there's some arguments can be made, right? Because uh, it is their user land. Yes. Yeah, it's just not their kernel. Which, what's the difference if you downloaded Ubuntu and swapped out the kernel? It's almost the same, the same uh, from the distribution standpoint. Go ahead, Blue Phoenix. I know you had a question we wanted to get in. What about uh, switching in its system like Gentoo does? 
some applications, I mean, Gen- Gentoo uses OpenRC, but like if you're going to use GNOME, then you can switch to systemd. So the the trouble with unit stuff is it gets really complicated. Um, specifically, uh, things like Upstart and systemd, the way they're designed is really inflexible given what Bedrock Linux is trying to do and some of the tools we're using. Mm. Like systemd will actually check when it's starting if you're using some of the techniques that Bedrock Linux does do and then refuse to operate. So it's not as simple as, as just switching it out. Uh, there's going to be a bit more work. I, I see uh, Heaven's Revenge has a question. Go ahead, Heavens. Okay. Well, there is a situation in which I can't quite wrap my head around. Let's say you start from a base system. And of course, you know, you usually start with installing X at least before you used to go distro or desktop environment first. You'd go X first, then maybe the toolkit, and then maybe the desktop environment. What happens when you go a stable X, pull something bleeding edge, like a bleeding edge KDE or uh, GTK from Arch, and then go back and switch to a stable desktop environment, where that is trying to find updated API calls in the stable version of the toolkit that you're using? So if I if I followed that correctly, your concern has to is going to be met by the fact that if something has a dependency that will be provided by the same distro, um, which is one of the reasons we have to take so much disk space is we have multiple copies of a lot of dependencies. So if something is using a given toolkit and there's that it's it's missing, they'll end up having their own. So that that doesn't happen. Very good. All right. Even I'll in let- a static. No, uh, literally, there'll be multiple copies of something like GTK. So something wants one specific version of GTK and something else wants a different version. They'll both be installed on disk and they'll both see those versions. That seems, I mean, I know some people are going to scoff at the disk space usage there, but that seems like if if you want to do this kind of thing and disks are cheap, that seems like a fair trade-off for what you're actually getting. Um, So when you install KDE, do you actually install KDE and all of its complete dependency tree from that specific repo or distribution and then have little kind of hierarchies within their own truths? Yes. If you install something like KDE, you'll get the entire... It, you're installing it using that given distro's package manager and it does its own dependency resolution the way it typically would natively. Right. You'll get all of those dependencies. It's like if you were running that distribution and you just installed KDE, it will do all of the actions it would do when you perform that action. So if, it, if, you, if there's a meta KDE package that installs... 300 dependencies it would do that okay exactly. i was thinking of excess shared containers which they right. share a little bit more interdependencies between them but i guess they're very very inter or independent of each other okay so, so i wonder how oh go ahead Let, yeah. yeah how closely independent they are or how um how much they're interacting with each other is configurable given the way they're using it so if you want to try to do something like that you can um, by default, I'm trying to find a, a same compromise between things not conflicting with each other and things just working, interacting the way you'd expect. Very good. All right, I want to get a couple more questions in before we go. Uh, so I wanted to uh, have uh, Crossroads uh, kind of finish this up with uh, his last two questions here. Go ahead, Crossroads. Okay, so um, my first question is, how does Bedrock handle GUI? So when, it's, when you have a GUI running... How does that work? How does one particular client display a GUI? It talks to Xorg or Wayland the same way it would natively. Like it, okay. it doesn't. Re- they're not contained. It doesn't know that it's not there. It doesn't know that the version of Xorg it's talking to happens to be different from what it's used to. And my my last question was: oh, 
if you could take a time machine five years in the future, where would you want to see Bedrock, or where do you see it being in five years? I see it being roughly where you'd see something like uh, Slackware in terms of popularity. Like people know it's there, not everyone uses it. Um, however, it's you know obviously be very different from Slackware in terms of the, what the project's doing. I expect I'd, I'd like to have a niche a number of people who are who are using it in a community, but I don't expect it to take over everything. I like that. Um, and so I think we have a lot of people that want to know how they can help contribute. Where should they go to get involved or see if there's a way they could help? Uh, so on uh, our website, I have, I think, a frequent asked question item on that. But basically, you can look at our issue tracker. If there's something you think you can take, go ahead and uh, let me know and go at it. If you see some other issues uh, that you that are missing from there, you can add them. I think that the biggest thing, though, that, that can be done is to actually install it and use it and let me know what issues you find, because I can't fix issues that come up in workflows different from mine. Like, I don't actually use many desktop environments, so if there's some issue with those, I wouldn't be aware of them. So, yeah, just use it and let me know how it goes. Very good. Well, uh, you are welcome to stick around and join us anytime, too. The Mumble Room is always open when we're doing uh, the Unplugged Show, and I'd like to get your guys' thoughts on... uh, on this uh, next topic we have coming up too, and we'll uh, discuss more in the post show. So it's been great. And guys, nice. go over go over to the show notes. We've got links for Bedrock Linux, and uh, I think I don't know about you, Matt, but uh, Bedrock Linux to me is like one of the most interesting distributions in ten years. Oh, easily. I think it could actually set the pace for the way things are done in the future. Maybe not exactly the way it's being done currently, but I think it does set a pace and a different set of expectations yeah. that we could watch expand over I, time. I like that. Uh, I like that 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 sort of you know Slackware. Uh, it has sort of a really soft spot in the community's heart. There's a lot of passionate Slackers out there, and uh, I, you know I think it's it's still a distribution that carries some weight. Every time we talk about it on the show, we end up hearing from somebody. That's that that that's not a bad goal at all. I I would uh, no. I'd be very happy to have a distribution at that level, and I think it's possible. Bedrock Linux offers something that I think will really appeal to a certain set of uh, Linux users. So you heard the man, go out there and uh, try it out. Go to Bedrock Linux's site and uh, download it and deploy it and uh, bang on it for him. It's not not necessarily for uh, those of you who are maybe not a little more uh, gray in the beard. It takes some Linux skills, but if you've got some or if you want to challenge them, you can go do it. And you can always try it out in virtualization too, so you could always snapshot and whatnot. Speaking of which, Matt, I want to thank our next sponsor on the Linux Unplugged show, and that is DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com, and guess what? we got a nice June promo code, Unplugged June, to get you a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in about 55 seconds, maybe less if you're a pro. <laughs> like our audience and pricing plans start at only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a blazing fast CPU and one terabyte of transfer in digital ocean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam, man, I'd love to be the uh, IT guy that gets sent to work at the Amsterdam data center. And of course their interface is simple. Their control panel is intuitive and power users can replicate it on a much larger scale with their API. And you're seeing people take advantage of that in really cool ways. There's so many great things I could talk about with DigitalOcean. I think what I'd like to focus on is how, how much I really appreciate how they've rocked so many aspects of this. They made it, it's, it is a combination of their dashboard that I talk a lot about. It's a combination of those SSD drives, which is an early investment. I think they really saw the light on that. It's, 
the really great utilization of KVM to get the density on these things so incredibly high. And one of the other things that's really fantastic about DigitalOcean is they have been on the cutting edge of Docker support. Docker 1.0 came out yesterday. DigitalOcean's already down with it, man. And the great thing about DigitalOcean is they're making it really easy to deploy some really great open source tools and things like GitLab. You can deploy GitLab to, do, uh, to, a, to a droplet on DigitalOcean in no time. It's, it's things like this where you can make a template image and then redeploy it when you need, and they have hourly pricing so you can take this template, get it up and running, bang on it for a few hours, and shut it down. And with our, ton, with our $10 credit when you use Unplug June... That's going to last forever. I mean, it's this value combined with this technology, and it's the technology that we all support. It's the technology that we all love. Combined with their investment SSDs, these data centers all over the world, they really are a really cool company, and they're doing something different. They have a different recipe than everybody else, and that's why developers and Linux users and power users and people that just want to learn alike are all responding so strongly to DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code UnpluggedJune. Go get a $10 credit. Try out the $5 rig. For two months, you'll just get it for, for two months for free. That's a terabyte of transfer you can use. And just put BitTorrent Sync up there. Put OwnCloud up there. Just begin to take back and control a little part. Or put Subsonic up there. Shoot, I don't know. Put Plex up there. Well, I don't know about that. Maybe put no, a VPN up Plex. there. Maybe yeah, if you put I'd, a VPN, then you could do it. Well, here's how what I did. And I, and I wouldn't necessarily go with that direction in the media, but I think Subsonic. Oh, we have some folks that uh, do have Plex up there. You know, it could work, oh, yeah. right? It could work, but I would want to make it secure. Yeah. Yeah, you want it to make it secure. I mean, for myself, I'm actually looking at doing an own cloud slash uh, BitTorrent totally. Sync situation totally. because I really want to make sure I have access to my documents no matter where I'm going. I'm also looking to drop Dropbox. So this is a project I've taken and, up recently. And, and I was originally just doing it, just the BitTorrent Sync part at my house. Uh, but as soon, as soon as I started putting stuff up on my DigitalOcean droplet, then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Now I can get to it from my Android phone when I'm right. on the road without having to mess with any firewall stuff on my home router. And it... It just and then it's like oh and then I have another sync point that's up in the cloud and it's like essentially offsite backup for me. It just all of these things started to click into place. So check it out, you guys. All right, so I'm a little upset. I'm a little. I don't want to. I don't want to be all ranty and ravey. I hate when I hate when I'm grumpy, and I know you guys do too. So let's just jump in real quick. We're just going to do our valve update. So Alienware got on my S list today. They had a little E3 announcement. Guess what? Ladies and gentlemen, Alienware will be shipping their first Steam machine in December, despite the fact that Valve has supposedly delayed them, because they're taking a little shortcut. Alienware's first Steam machine will be shipping with Windows. Of course it will. It's 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 Dell Jr. I mean, what do you expect? (laughs) They did it again, Matt. They did it again. They did it again. They switched to Windows. They're, they're shipping what they're calling the alpha version of the Steam machine, running Windows. And the Alienware, develop, Alienware developers has have, and this is a quote, scripted up a new UI that makes the Windows interface more usable from, a ten, ten, from 10 feet away and will make it easy to launch Steam Big Picture mode. There you go. Uh, well, you know, it's Alienware. I mean, nothing they do really surprises me, especially once the, once uh, Dell kind of took them under their wing. They really went a totally different direction at that point. It's really disappointing. And yeah. I, I mean, like, not only is it... It's negative in the freedom dimension. That's a given. But also, like, I, 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 I can, in a way, understand, like, maybe, like, they were working hand-in-hand with Valve. And Valve's like, yeah, Alienware, we're going to do this. You'll be our partner. And then, then all of a sudden, Valve was like, actually, you know what? Just kidding. We're going to bump it to 2015. That's, that's, I mean, that happened, right, Valve? So we're going to bump yeah. Steam Machines. And uh, maybe Alienware was like, well, that's great, Gabe, but here I am with my, with my wiener out. And 
uh, nothing's happening, and now I'm kind of stuck to deliver. I've got all these R&D guys we've paid for. We've developed a product. We've got all the shipping and marketing. Oh, and by the way, we've been working on a Windows one just in case your product sucked anyway, so we're just going to go with our plan B. I feel like that's what happened. Well, and it honestly makes me wonder how much, which is really the plan B. You know, I mean, really think about that. If they were able to roll it out that easily. they've been. Well, and, I think they've been working on this from the beginning. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I or maybe they hacked it together. I don't know. Maybe they did hack it together. Yeah. But I, to me, it feels like, Boy. how do you just go, well, yeah, but we've had these. We've had some of our developers hacking together a UI for this, so we'll just go with that. And, you know, we've got big picture mode. Brother. This is, I, yeah, I don't know. This is really disappointing, and this is th- this is typical crap. And I'm, I don't know. I just I'm a little worried. I don't like this. Is not a good start for the whole Steam Machine thing. This is not this is not how I wanted it to begin. Well, it just sounds like Dell half-assing things all over again. With yeah, those. I was gonna say that's all they've ever done. I well, mean, and but now the headline is is Alienware refit Steam Machine with Windows. You're seeing that at VentureBeat. It's on Engadget. It's everywhere now. That's the headline. That's the headline now. And it sets the tone. And so that's going to challenge Valve to have to step up their game when they are ready to release and absolutely just really blow people away. And that means getting in the headlines quick and early to recover from this. If if they're scripting a new UI or whatever, why are they doing that on Windows when that would be easier to do on a Linux system? Yeah, I think... Because Dell. I think Valve blew it. I think think what Valve... Valve blew it by engaging with other companies. Valve should have just nutted no. up and just shipped a machine themselves and, and not shipped it until it was ready. And they should have, it should have been the Steam machine from Valve and not worked with guys like the Cube guys that blew it back at CES last year and these guys that are blowing it now. This is not the first partner that's blowing it. And this, this is a big deal. If they screw this up, this is a big deal. Well, so, well I, I think these guys just don't care what operating systems they're shipping with. They care whether they can supply the games that people want to to their to the people who will buy Steam boxes. And the truth is that if you are going to ship a Steam box today, you have to have more AAA titles. I, I agree. And that. Linux just doesn't deliver there, so they either have to wait and. Possibly another company could sweep in and ship with Windows and oh, everything that Valve supplies with uh, uh, SteamOS is actually available for um, uh, for Windows already. Probably no one will stop you if you want to ship a Here's set the of box with that boots straight to uh, this Steam Big Picture. A, a, a Steam box running Windows is a failed product on launch. You know why? Because we already have those. Those those already yeah. exist, and they haven't gone anywhere. It needs to be a differentiator. It needs the Steam box applies to somebody who wants to have a more uh, appliance console like experience. They don't want something that's running Windows that's just been lacquered over, like Media Center was, or what's what Big Picture Mode is. They want something. It's a dedicated appliance box that's been bre- blessed by Valve. The people who are maybe Mac users who can't play very many video games, or people who are Xbox users who maybe don't really even mess with their PC very much. Maybe they have like a laptop. You know, like they, they don't even game on the PC. That's who I see a steam box running linux appealing to is somebody who wants a different solution because we already we've had big picture for over a, two years now i don't know a year at least yeah about and that. it's gone nowhere right and we already have that and so now alienware is going to bundle up and package something with a too expensive price point because they are charging more for this because of the windows license they said it in the press release they're going to ship something that's more expensive that will play mediocre game graphics based on the specs of this thing and what and it has this it has the steam box name it's it's a stinker all around. I think it has it's to rocks. do with support. Yeah. No, it I, doesn't. 
I had no, an Alienware that, that, that they no. sold with Ubuntu on it, and then I had an issue with the CD drive. When I called in the tech support, uh, when they found out I was using Ubuntu, the first thing they said is, we don't support Linux. And I ended up getting it escalated, and it was a hardware problem because of the case design, but their, their first response is, we don't support Linux, yeah, even it's... though they sold it with Ubuntu on it. Right. So uh, go ahead, I... Rod. No, go ahead, Rod. Uh, doesn't... I could be wrong, but doesn't Valve have a, have a rule, like a guidelines that you have to agree to in order to call it a Steam machine or a Steam box? I don't like know. Like how Google has AOSP? I know, that, I know that the press is calling it a Steam machine. That's what I was saying is uh, they need to draw the line and saying, and saying if you're going to call this a Steam well, box, you need to make sure it runs Linux and not Windows. Well, you know, if you look at the headline, it says Steam machine. But I, did, I think, that's, I think that's, a, that's a very – it doesn't matter. The, what matters is the perception that headline creates. Steam box, Steam machine, it could be – that's interchangeable but, for, the, for the impression it's going to create. And despite how much I dislike companies doing this, can't uh, Steam contact the, the, the uh, companies who are putting that headline out there? Uh, or the media organizations and tell them that's not what this is. Please remove that. You're insinu- you know, you're you're talking about our product, the Steam Machine. That's not that. Remove yeah, I don't that. know. I don't know. I mean, well, maybe if it's it. I mean, Canonical does. I, that I can answer that question. I, Ubuntu. So, go ahead, Matt. Well, I I can answer that question. Um, I I receive those all the time, and usually after I'm done <laughs> laughing at them and sending them to my inbox, um, yeah. The point is, is that send me a cease and desist until it's legal. They can bite me. Um, that that's that's the most uh, f- the philosophy of most editors. Unless there's a real compelling legal concern from the legal department, no one cares. It's an interpretive uh, statement. So the title being the Steam Machine. Well, it's running Steam and it is a machine that can be interpreted. They can then fight it out in court, or they can accept the fact that there really isn't much. Right. And and the thing too is like Valve is not going to want the bad PR. But I want also the thing is is what the way Alienware is positioning this is they're even calling it Alpha. This is Rev One. We're shipping yeah. our first version with Windows, and then later, potentially, maybe, possibly, kind of, we might put Linux on them in future versions that we won't be calling Alpha anymore. We just want to see if the concept works. Even though it won't be anything like the final product, we want to see if the concept works. And so that's why they're calling it a Steam machine, because eventually, maybe, it kind of could possibly run SteamOS. you, you oh, got to wonder, does there. anyone else here smell Microsoft stink on this? Because they yes. do have a real tight relationship. <laughs> this, is what, this is what I've been saying. Um Microsoft and Dell are known to be like very simpatico together. Mm. Um, Microsoft I don't think this is a Microsoft thing at all. There, What's that? I would agree with Heavens. This is not the Microsoft thing at all. It's just better currently. If you are going to ship, like I said before, if you are going to ship a Steam box, it's easier to do it with Windows because of bigger library to games. You'll appeal to wider audience. Uh, I think people who do it don't care absolutely at all um, about what operating systems they're shipping with, and we care too much. Um, <laughs> the truth is probably somewhere uh, about, in the yeah, yeah, we care too yeah. much about Linux to have a kind of a clear perspective on this. All right, well, yeah, VR Mac. VR Mac, you want to give us a dose of reality? Go ahead. I think the... Uh, the thing that this all boils down to is the fact that Dell's a business, and regardless of if they have any sort of alliance with Microsoft or whatever conspiracy you may think, they're, they're a business, and all they really care about is making money, and they see this as an opportunity to get a profit. This is a really good opportunity for them, too, because as we know of, 
X for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, guess what they're using? X86 chips. Yeah, I just... This is the future of Yeah, but Dell isn't very good at making it's money diverging. in the consumer space anymore. This, this I mean, is they're kind of laughed at Or converging. This is, this is, this has now become the ultimate Dell product, where they half-ass it, they, they start ambitious, <laughs> and then they cut yeah. it and cut it down. This isn't going to be a successful product. This is already a product that nobody wants. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, okay, fine, they want to go with badly. Windows, great. Give me specs that I actually give a rat's butt about. Then I might at least acknowledge that they're actually trying. And the problem, the problem is, is when it runs Windows, you fundamentally have a complicated Windows PC that you have to manage. That's why Windows, the old traditional Windows Mobile, failed. It was too complicated for that type of device. The, you you have to have a device that is dumb, stupid. I just want to effing play some video game. Simple. I press a a stupid little alien glowing button, and it boots up this this shiny Valve OS, and it it boots right. right into this big picture mode, and that's all it is. It's nothing else. It's not Windows that's been scripted to have a ten foot interface that you can launch big picture. People don't want that. It's, it's going to be a failed product. Or when they plug in their controller, they're going to have to install some drivers. Yeah, it ships with the Xbox oh God, uh, 360 no wireless controller, too. That's what they're going with. Oh Anyways. It doesn't stink with Microsoft at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not even a little bit. Yeah, like I said, I, I know some things about Dell and Microsoft that most people probably don't, and I'm saying, yes, it does stink with Microsoft. Of course, you know oh, what? Yeah. Uh, Imacom points out in the chat room, you never know. Maybe it will be successful, and the Steam Machine Could name be. gets a good name. And Yeah, right. I don't think so. Uh, uh, I, yeah. How about, <laughs> how about, some, uh, how about some, some good Linux gaming news? Right? So let's talk about Linux taking over the gaming universe again. Uh, I didn't really see this one coming today, at least. Uh, uh, Civilization V, the strategy game, is now native on Linux. It's, it's an Aspire port, but it's a native Aspire port. Uh, the SteamOS uh, release includes all Civilization V DLC, too. And the expansion pack, including Gods and Kings and Brave New World. This is over on GamingOnLinux.com, uh, and it was posted by uh, Liam, who joined us a couple weeks ago on the show. Pretty big release for Linux. Civilite, this is one of the benchmark games, and it, it's out. It's out there right now. You can go get it and download it. Uh, I actually think I bought it like a while ago when it was on crazy sale. Sometimes I, I hedged my bets, and so there you go. That's a big game coming to Linux, and uh, so that's a good. New, that's some good news. And I also wanted to share a little love with the Krita product project. Krita, am I saying that? Krita, Krita, yeah, Krita. Mm-hmm. The uh, the uh, KDE or the. Uh, QT-based uh, digital painting software, is doing a Kickstarter to sort of supercharge development. And, I, and the main reason I wanted to give them a mention is because this is one of the most badass apps we have on desktop Linux. And I, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful that crowdfunding can be a way for the open source community to fund these really standout applications. And when you have a, a desktop Linux application that not only has a good history, but it has an ambitious target and has been delivering on a consistent basis... I'm all about that. So I wanted to give them a plug. You can find a link to their Kickstarter project, or you can just go to kickstarter.com and search for the Creative Project. Uh, it's from the Creative Foundation. They're trying to get to uh, 15,000, and they're at 2,148 right now, 73 backers with 29 days to go, and they got all their goals outlined out there and stuff like that. So good luck to them. It's a really, really good app. Um, I, it's one of these apps that I kind of wish we had spent more time with on the Linux Action Show demoing, uh, but I'm just so not skilled at this kind of stuff that it would be embarrassing. <laughs> right. But if I was, I would I would be showing this kind of stuff off. So just give it a mention for one of our great uh, desktop Linux apps that's out there. That you know, this is this is one of the applications that any desktop environment, proprietary or not, would be proud to have. Definitely. So there you go. Good work, guys, and uh, good luck on the the fundraiser. They got a they got a video too that uh, you can go uh, catch with some 
catchy like uh, you know Kickstarter music, and they got some green screen action going. It's nice. Look at this green screen action they got going. Good work, like guys. Kick- Kickstarter videos is that you you always want to like curl up with a cup of tea as you watch. Them. <laughs> you know the whole Kickstarter. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> the whole Kickstarter video thing. You know that's like an yeah. industry now. There's like people where their full time business is uh, recording Kickstarter videos and Indiegogo videos and stuff like that. Like the whole wow. that's like their whole thing, man. That's what they do for a living. That's crazy. I mean, if only we knew more people had had that kind of equipment. And should skill. have thought of that. I should have thought yeah. of that. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Well, you guys can find links to all that stuff in the show notes. Also, just a shout out, uh, two new shows over on Jupiter Broadcasting, How to Linux launched, and uh, episode one is out. And uh, Tech Talk Today is daily Monday through Thursday. Episode six is out today. We talked about Netflix and Verizon round two. It's a pretty interesting spat that is directly related to all of the net neutrality stuff going on right now and has the potential to bust that stuff open. So we've been covering that on Tech Talk today. We've also covered the best from E3 that's happened so far. And you guys probably heard about that Turing uh, test that was supposedly beaten, but not so much. We bust that in today's episode of Tech Talk today. And you can join us every day, Monday through Thursday at jblive.tv, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern. And, uh, you know, we have uh, the, also we have the mumble room involved, too. So if you uh, didn't get it, if you don't get a chance to join us for Linux Unplugged, we take calls and your opinion from the mumble room and tech talk today. And uh, tomorrow we'll be uh, rounding up not just the tech headlines, but we'll also be uh, covering some of the stuff that happened in E3. So it's E3 going on right now, Matt. Did you know? I've heard this. Yeah. Well, there's, the rumors are true, Matt. It is true. <laughs> it is going on right now. So anyways, we'll end it right there. So head over to linuxactionshow.reddit.com to get involved. You can help uh, massage the content, if you will, you know, to cup the content and give it a nice gentle boost over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. It's also a good way to give us your feedback. I've noticed, and we'll see if anybody's still listening, because I've noticed that the Linux Unplugged show gets very little love these days in the subreddit. And I understand it's because you guys are jerks and you don't like us. And you hate that's us. That's right. So that's fine. I mean, we don't mind, right, Matt? I mean, it, as long as I'm getting abused. I mean, being uh, attention, not abused. What am I saying? <laughs> I don't want to be abused. No, at all. I think it's yeah, just give us a little effort. love, guys. Come on. You know. And the value of this is negative. <laughs> Let's go along. I kid. I kid. You can also go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, hit the contact link, and send in some email to the Linux Unplugged show. And join us live on Tuesdays, 2 p.m. Pacific, or go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted by robots. In your local time, jblive.tv is where the live happens, where you can hang out with us in the mumble room or in the chat room and help name our show. Hey, Matt, I'll see you on Sunday, okay? All right, see you then. All right, have a great week, and have a great week, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll see you right back here next Tuesday. See you.